we arrived at the restaurant and guess who was waiting for us? <laughs> Our little orange. out. <laughs> no, he was there just as nice as before waiting for breakfast. Aww. There you go. There's my restaurant cat story. That is such a nice story. I know I have pictures of them too. Sometimes I show them in my lectures. Sorry for saying sorry. Media presents the Purr Podcast, the best podcast for feline medicine and surgery with tips, tricks, and updates for the entire veterinary healthcare team. If you're dying to know more about cats, keep on listening. Here are your hosts, Dr. Susan Little, famous cat vet and textbook author, and Dr. Yola Kerpenstein, talented surgeon and social media geek. Hello, this is Dr. Yola Kerpenstein. And this is Dr. Susan Little. And this is part two of Hot Cat News. Yes. Um, can I go first this time? Yeah, you can go first. First, we have to say this is the Per Podcast. Very excited that you're here. Uh, <laughs> got a lot of great reactions on the last one that we did. So very excited. Um, and hopefully this one will be as exciting. Well, it will be exciting for me because... <laughs> <laughs> because for, for one thing, um, these are two episodes that is just you and I chatting, which we haven't done for a long time. We should do more of them. We okay. usually have a guest, but every now and then it's just nice for you and I to chat. And you know what? The coolest thing is that we are, I don't know what number we're at, but somewhere in, in the, the 80s, early like, 90s, no, no, yeah. early 90s, 10 more. And it's number <gasps> Yes, that's right. We have to, we have, we had plans for number 100, but I think we're not going to um, be yes. able to do our original plan. Yes, yes. We were supposed to go to a special place, tape it there where we yeah. started. Yes. It, it might, you think? No, 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 no. no. To happen. That'll have to wait till episode 200. Yeah, I think we have to do it early, like 150. Maybe. Let's see what things are or like at 155. Because it involves travel, you know. Yeah, and yeah, as soon as we can travel, as soon as the vaccine is there. Yeah. So, yep. So in the future. So we'll, we'll have to think of something else for episode 100, Yola. Yes. We'll figure something out. Something cool. I know. Or what if, even better, if people that are listening to the Per Podcast send us a message on our at Per Podcast anywhere on social media, what you yep. would like the 100. So oh, that's can... a good idea. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, so, we're open to suggestions since our plan A is not going to work. We're open to, to work. We're open to plan B suggestions. Yes, exactly. Yeah. All right. You said you had a, a starter? I do. I do. Um, this is more, I, I wanted to talk more about sort of, you know, feline medicine things that are news. Because, well, at least it's news to me. Yes. So the, I'll just throw the history things in because, you know. That's fine. We can have a nice mix. How's that? So the, the, the one um, piece of research that recently got published that's very exciting to me um, is about monitoring diabetic cats. Ooh, what's yeah. the news? Well, as you know, you know, diabetes can be a, a tough disease to, to uh, regulate and to monitor in cats. Yeah. And quite a few veterinarians, uh, my clinics included, have been trying to adapt some of the human monitoring devices to cats. Yeah. Um, so there's been a real That's evolution. Yeah, there's been quite an evolution in blood glucose monitoring. Yeah. So there's less sort of, you know, uh, finger stick and blood test. 
And yeah. now they're more sort of, they're almost wearable devices, aren't they? Yeah. So they stick to your skin and there's a very, very fine um, catheter, I guess. It's not really a needle um, that goes under your skin and it measures not blood glucose, but interstitial cell, interstitial fluid glucose. Yeah which correlates very nicely with blood glucose. So these have been used in people for a long time. Yeah. And uh, quite a few veterinarians have been trying them out in cats and the other species that gets yeah. diabetes. But we haven't had any studies published. Of course not. Yeah. So we've all been just trying to, you know, figure it out on our own. But a study um, very recently got published. So that made me very, because a, a, a study got published earlier this year in the other species. And I've just been waiting for a cat study. So one got published. It's from the, the, the veterinary University of Veterinary Medicine at Hanover, Germany. Oh. Yeah. And they published a nice um, study on 34 cats wow. that were using uh, one of these, uh, they're called flash glucose um, monitoring systems. Um, and then people, they will, you, you, the sensors applied to your skin and it will stay there for up to 14 days mm -hmm. and it just keeps measuring the whole time. So it would be perfect for cats because no blood draws and all the monitoring could be done at home and yeah. the data supplied to the veterinarian. So the cat doesn't have to come to the clinic. So there's, there's lots of benefits. So they had this study with 34 cats and they for this study, they, and they were client-owned cats, and they compared the readings from the flash monitor. And yeah. the flash monitor that they used is a common one. It's called Freestyle Libra, Freestyle Libra by Abbott. It's yeah. important to mention it because another flash glucose monitor might not give you the same results. So they studied a specific one. And they compared the measurements to blood glucose measurements, and they found a very good correlation very good correlation with, oh, wow. with uh, blood glucose. So they were very positive about it. They said it's very practical. It's less stressful for everybody involved. Yeah. And it should be a significant move forward for diabetic pet, diabetic cats. And we all know how difficult it is if you have a diabetic yeah. cat to stick it all the time, et cetera. So this mm -hmm. is awesome. Mm -hmm. Great. And so do you, do you, how, how difficult is it to apply? They... They, um, you know, you have to kind of learn a few tricks because they were meant for human skin, which is generally not so furry. Yeah. <laughs> so there is a, um, sometimes a challenge getting them to stick to cat skin. Mm. Um, there's some tips and tricks that people use to try to get them to stick. And in people, they tend to stay stuck for the 14 days. In this study of cats, it stayed stuck an average of eight days, which is pretty good. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I'd be happy with even two days. Yeah, I know. Right? So our so expectation... You have to stick it every time then, I guess. After no, everything. once it comes off, it comes off. Yeah, but then you have to put a new one on. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, the idea is not that the cat always wears one. The idea is when you're concerned that the dose needs adjustment, yes. that you slap one on the kitty and uh, see what the measurements are. And then that helps you make your decision. That's awesome. I know. So they found um, very few um, skin irritations. They were all mild. The only um, drawback was that because this is made for people, the upper limit of reading is only about 27.8 millimoles per liter. Um, and for those of you who are not 
SI or metric people, that's 500 milligrams per deciliter. And cats can go over that. Huh. So if the cat's own reading is higher than that, you won't get the actual number, but yeah. that's but a it small will give high or no. It'll just say high. Yeah, it won't give you the number. But that's a small drawback, I think. All right. There so I, so I am very excited. Week, I, yes. Last week, I gave you a couple of uh, news flashes of which some came from uh, the BBC.com's website. I'll give you another one from that website. They're, they're pretty cool. Yeah. Ice Age saber-toothed cat revealed from bone sent to Scots scientist. Say that again. So a Scottish scientist has discovered, discovered that a 50,000-year-old bone found in Canada belonged to a saber-toothed cat. Oh. And it was discovered in the permafrost in Yukon. Okay. And they thought it was originally from ancient cave lions, uh, but they sent uh, the DNA uh, to a Inverness paleogeneticist, paleogeneticist. We should have asked Leslie about this, uh, ah. Dr. Ross Barnett, and he identified it, or she, uh, as being a bone of an Ice Age scimitar tooth cat. No kidding. There is a picture there, which I think is really amazing because, so they find one bone and then they imagine how that cat looked like. It looks like a lioness okay. with a little bit more body build, uh, big teeth, and then a bobtail. Why would they put a bobtail behind that? Uh... Uh, oh, it's a scimitar cat. Yeah, S-E-I-M-I-T-A-R. So yeah. that's not something I'm, what's a scimitar cat? I think oh, it's, it's a, a type tooth. of saber tooth. Okay. It's a saber tooth cat. Yeah. So it's, it's uh, a type of saber tooth. Okay. Yeah. Found and in it's the well, oh. it was well preserved, so they could get some DNA out of it, which was really I cool. See that. Isn't that cool? So I guess they weren't you you said they thought the bone was from a lion? Yeah, a cave lion. What's a cave lion? Lions who live in caves, I guess. That's very cool. And then the interesting thing is that they analyzed the two cats that we have now. Yeah. And um, it is probably a little bit larger than they say than a snow leopard, clouded leopard, or cheetah. So that's very interesting. That Homo therium. Cool. And the bone was found in the Yukon, probably the Klondike, I'm, I'm guessing. In, uh, in Canada. So yes. it is news that's related to you a little bit. <laughs> That's very cool. It just shows you how some of these newer technologies um, are uncovering uh, interesting things and, and important things about fossils. Yeah, that's exactly it. The other, uh, there's a lot of news and I don't want to mention a special of a special cases, but of cats being uh, mutilated. And so there's a lot of abuse with cats too. And I think that is not only a problem with cats, but with any animal. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot of animal abuse that hits the news because it is yeah, dramatic. Um, and and, and I, I, was, I was watching a um, social media stream going uh, on the Dutch uh, website for veterinarians. And they were also talking about some abuse cases. So it, really? it does happen and, and vets see them uh, mm -hmm. come into the clinic and they're difficult because often they're, yeah. they're very, 
I mean, those cats and dogs are very traumatized. Yeah, it's it's heartbreaking. And the, the other difficulty for veterinarians is that in, in most countries, in most places, we're required by law to report mm. if we suspect abuse. Yeah. But it can be very hard to um, be sure. You can suspect, but can you actually confirm, right? So veterinarians are often placed in that difficult position of being the one who has to raise the red flag. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's tough. That's tough. I know around this year, although uh, fireworks are now forbidden in Holland for this year because of COVID, ah. uh, fireworks were often the cause. So people throwing yeah. fireworks to yes. innocent animals or tying fireworks to animals, yeah. which is, you know, I can't even believe that people do that. But um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's a big problem. Um, and I, I don't know really what the answer is. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it almost speaks to a lack of empathy, um, doesn't it? Like, if you can't empathize with another living creature and understand the pain and suffering that you could inflict, that's a, that's a scary way to be in, in a human, isn't it? A human who can't empathize. Yeah, uh, yeah. That's, uh, absolutely true. It's, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I, I always, you know, I see that news and it always makes me really, really sad. Well, what, one of the things that needs to be done is that many, many, not just countries, but areas within countries actually don't have a mechanism that records incidents like that. So there, you really can't look up how many have occurred, what was the nature of them. So it's a problem that currently suffers from good data collection. And that's the place to start, right? You have to try to get a grip on how common is it? What is it? What does it look like? Right? Before you can start to address the why. Yeah. And it's yeah. kind of sad that we're, we're at this point in time where we still don't have that kind of data. But you know, the other thing we, we have, and there are veterinarians who would know more about that. These are veterinarians who do forensic work. So it's a growing specialty in veterinary medicine to specialize in uh, forensic work for animals. And so those people would be really be on the forefront of investigating these cases. Yeah. Hey, I have some sad news. Oh no. And I should have picked it up in our last podcast, but Marty, the longtime mascot of Mount Washington Observatory has died. Was he an old cat, I hope? Uh, let me check. So you, know, you always hope, right? Popular, obviously. Well, yes. If if his passing made the news, he I said think. of the the observatory official said he might love you one week and the next week he would not come near you. He huh. a cat. Uh, Six thousand two hundred eighty-eight feet above sea level, Mount Washington in northern New Hampshire. Uh, had the cats and um, there's always been a cat in the residence. The latest one is a black Maine Coon named Marty who arrived at the summit in 2008 and died on the 10th of November. Okay. Aww. Oh, Marty was 14 or 15. So well, Marty still had, a, had, had, had a long life and is survived by dozens of meteorologists and interns. Uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> You know, it's, it's, um, 
that's a facet of feline life that you also don't hear much about. Uh, in our last podcast, we talked about Larry, the cat who lives at 10 Downing Street um, in, uh, in England. There are cats who live at workplaces or um, in this case, the, the Mount Washington Observatory. So tourist places or museums or workplaces, um, it's not uncommon for them to have a cat that, uh, that lives there. Um, some shops do, and you don't you don't hear about that quite quite as much unless they they make the news or become famous like Larry the Ten Downing Street cat. There was also a a, a cat called Palmerston in the UK, and he recently retired. Uh, I think he was the Foreign Office cat in England, and there was for a while uh, a little bit of you know uh, rivalry between Larry and Palmerston, but Palmerston's retired now, so. Oh, and there's no new cat? not well not that I've heard there you know there there could be but not that I've heard so I, I, I'd like to hear more about these cats that occupy that unique role in in our society right where they live at your you know there's bodega cats in New York City for example so you know they hang out around certain um, places can I tell you my my um, restaurant cat story certainly okay so uh, a number of years ago, I was fortunate to go on a trip to the Galapagos Islands. Uh-huh. And it was a, uh, I went with a team of veterinarians and we were spaying and neutering cats and the other species yeah. on a couple of different islands. So it was a working trip. It was by no means a leisure trip. Um, I think you I worked harder on that trip. D? Uh, I, I only neutered the Ds and only when they were really little because the, the other experienced surgeons were quite happy to let me do all of the cats, but they, they were leery about allowing me to touch the other species and they were correct. <laughs> yes, I, I, I was just saying a yes. sudden, sudden drop in numbers of the <laughs> on the island happened after yes. Dr. Susan and her team. No. <laughs> but they were they were very good and they patiently taught me again how yeah. to spay and neuter the other species at which time i was confirmed in my belief that i never want to spay a dog ever again in my life because for such a common surgery it can be one of the most difficult that veterinarian no, it can do. be a pain in the uh, behind for sure yeah. yeah so that was why i was there and on one particular island our um, guest house was next door to a little restaurant and we would have breakfast at that restaurant every morning before we headed to the little makeshift clinic that we'd set up and every morning a little orange tabby young male cat maybe like six seven months old would yeah. appear at our table and have breakfast with us so you know we'd feed them little bits of our of our egg or you know whatever whatever we had and so it became a routine and and of course we noticed he was not neutered and so uh, just the the two evenings before we were due to leave that island um we had a discussion so do we take this cat into the clinic too so we asked the lady who owns the restaurant like is that your cat yeah and no he's just a cat who hangs around the restaurant so we hatched this plot to grab the cat on the last morning and take him to be neutered. Yeah. Uh, on the second last morning, sorry, to take him to be neutered. So that's what we did. So on the second last morning, you know, we tempted the little guy came to see us, 
you know, we tempted them with some food and we snatched them up, poor cat, and uh, took them to our clinic with us and neutered them and then, you know, came back later that late in the afternoon and let him go. And of course he took off like a, you know, bolt uh, yeah. to get away from us. And the following morning was our last morning on the island. And we were all sure that cat would not show up, right? Like at having, having been kidnapped on the previous morning, we were pretty sure we were not going to see him on our last morning, but yeah. we arrived at the restaurant and guess who was waiting for us? <laughs> our little orange out. <laughs> no, he was there just as nice as before waiting for breakfast. Aww. There you go. There's my restaurant cat story. That is such a nice story. I know I have pictures of them too. Sometimes I show them in my lectures. Hmm. Yep. The cat who came back. Yeah. Even though, even though, you know, even though we snatched him up, we kidnapped him. You kidnapped him. You did all sorts of stuff with yep. him and brain uh, surgical procedures and let him go. So yes. there you go. You probably woke up and it was like, what? <laughs> I'm sure. What happened? What I'm happened sure. here? All right. Uh, let's see if we have one more. Uh, oh, another, another cats in the news thing. Uh, no, I had, I think I did enough of those. Uh, okay. We need to find something uh, more. Oh, 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 I have a cancer one for you that I'm. Oh, let's do that one. Yes, that yes. sounds like a good one. I've been meaning to ask you about this anyway, so let's talk about it. Yes. So this is a paper that just came out this month in the Journal of Small Animal Practice. And it's about melanocytic tumors of the nasal planum in cats. Now that's mm -hmm. not something that you see uh, much published on, um, no. ever. No. Mainly squamous cells that we see. That yeah. It's primarily squamous cells, right? Yeah. Um, so they had uh, 10 cats in this study with melanocytic tumors on the, on the nasal planum. Um, and so they looked at like what were predisposing, um, factors and, you know, how, and, and also whether the, the tumor was benign or malignant because yeah. not all melanocytic tumors are, are necessarily malignant. So uh, so let's see. So they had um, this uh, group of cats and they said pigmentation appeared to be a predisposing factor, which is kind of the opposite of, of what we think about, right? Because we're used to squamous cell carcinomas that tend to form in non-pigmented areas. Yeah. Right? Uh, so, yes. Yes. Right. right. But this is a melanocyte, so it makes sense it's going to be in a pigmented yes. area. Yep. Most of them had a malignant tumor, but a few were just melanocytomas. So they were benign. Um, they all, I think they only found metastasis in one cat. So I wanted to ask you that. Are melanocytic tumors, like malignant melanomas, are they prone to metastasis in general or not? Uh, melanomas are. Okay. Um, and But we, do, we don't know that much about melanomas in cats and yeah. mainly from the D. Yeah, uh, but uh, but in the D day, they they can metastasize up to fifty percent, and I don't mm -hmm. think it would be that much different in the cats. I have to say, yeah. for the you know the um, for the really uh, aggressive ones, but we we do know that cats get quite a lot of benign melanocytic tumors too. So I have to say, they at least in in my practice experience, maybe it's just where I practice. Uh, I, I can't remember seeing, I'm sure we've seen one or two, but they, I would say they're rare where we, where we practice. 
they, they also noted that four of the cats had a pigmented mass, which was stable for a long, long time, and then suddenly took off and had malignant transformation and away it went. So just because it's sitting there for a long time, not doing anything, doesn't mean it'll stay like that. Yeah, exactly. And right? you know, in general, they're pretty rare in cats, I would say. But I mean, it, it's interesting to say that, you know, the, we, we have a couple of examples of tumors that can be there for a long time and then suddenly start growing and then find out that they're malignant. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, we, 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 we had some ideas that maybe rectal tumors could do that, that you have polyps first and then they can right. turn. And, and that's kind of the same as in people. Um, but I have not heard that from, you know, in, 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 in people, obviously, when you have melanocytic tumors in your skin, you have to be very careful. And there are lots of things that you can look at uh, to see if you should worry about them or not. And the best advice there is to regularly go to your physician or to a dermatologist to have your spots checked. Mm. Most of them are benign. Um, and sometimes they, they worry about it and then they do a biopsy or they remove it and that sort of thing. We don't do that in dogs and cats that much. When I was doing research into melanomas in dogs, um, we, I, I had owners, if, if, if we diagnosed a, a skin melanoma that had some malignant tendencies, I had the owners come back at a quite a regular uh, time frame to have them rechecked and anything that I thought was suspicious i just either lasered or or removed we didn't see that many cats i have had some melanomas in cats but most of them you know they they, they were malignant mm. so this this is just more evidence that says you shouldn't ignore you know bumps and lumps right they they should be investigated even if That's it looks it. So, like so how many did they uh they did had they... 10 cases but how many were malignant seven Oh, seven out, yeah, that's that's yep. surprising. Seven but, you know, in, in, in cats, when you get a tumor in a cat, uh, it's very often malignant. I don't know what cats have, but uh, you know mm. they they tend to uh, they tend to uh, have more malignant tumors than uh, than 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 if you compare it with the D. Um, so mm -hmm. let me see. And in, in that in that study um, of the seven malignancies, six of them had radiation treatment, and of those six, three had a complete response, and three had a partial response. But in the end, all of those cats were eventually um, euthanized because of recurrence. Yeah, I'm so. looking at an article here that was published uh, uh, in 2019 that looked at non-ocular melanocytic neoplasia in cats. And they had yeah. 324. Um, and they had histologic features of 141 and outcome data of 80. So they, they have a little bit, they have bigger numbers. Yeah, this um, was just nasal planum. So that's why there's not that many. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And then they had... They said 43 were low grade and 46 were high grade tumors. So it's about a 50 mm. uh, split in these. Uh, so so the 70, 70, 30 is a little bit. Uh, yeah, but it's a small number. So yeah, it, it, okay. I think I think you're right. It, we we should be suspicious that at least half of them are likely to be malignant versus yeah. 
Yeah. A melanocytoma. Yeah. Yeah. And with malignant tumors, you need to take them out. Yeah. You know, I, I, I remember I had one cat that we tried the vaccine on. He had a, that now I suddenly remember. So that was out of, you know, that cat had a melanoma. We tried the vaccine, uh, the, you know, the Muriel vaccine on. So this is the one for dogs. Yes. As a matter of fact, a human mouse tyrosinase vaccine. So we guesstimated that if it would work for a dog, because then it might work for a cat too. But, right. Uh, so that's the, yeah, the canine melanoma vaccine. Is that available in the US, Yola, or I, you don't know? I'm not sure. Yeah. It probably is. I would bet it is. So, yeah. but, so uh, you tried it in that cat. cat. That's NS1, but you know, and it, didn't and it was officially off label use anyway. So it was kind of, but uh, yeah. But I thought I, I thought it was interesting. I I asked Phil about it, and I can't remember exactly what he responded. I should ask him again. You know, Phil Bergman, who did most of the studies surrounding that. Uh, right. That, so. Right. So. Very good. Oh, this is. Oh my gosh, it's already the end. Are we out of time already? I know, oh, crazy. Okay. We're going to have to do this again, where we talk about some of these articles that come up in the literature. I really I enjoyed doing that. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. Next time you just have to warn me that you're going to do it so I can look. No, at I'm not going to warn you at all. I'm going to put you on the spot and make you think. So we'll put the, the links to the, um, yeah. the articles that we talked about in the show notes so that listeners can follow up and find them. Yep. Good. And if you're interested in any of the other news, if you type in hot cat news or recent cat news, you get all those, uh, those links automatically there because that's what we did. And then we'll talk about it. Yeah. So if you have cat owners, please have them listen to the Cat Cafe podcast, uh, because that's where we're discussing interesting cat news for cat owners. But yeah. this is the per podcast. If you like us, give us a five-star review. That would be awesome. Uh, and if you can do me one favor, us one favor, is tell one friend today hmm. to listen. Spread the word. Yes, we have 90 of them already. Uh, and you can just pick out the topics that you like the most. And uh, so yep. I really appreciate this, uh, this because we, we were setting this up and we didn't have anybody to interview. And I was like, what are we going to talk about? But oh, normally there's we never a lack. It, there's it, never it, a lack of things to talk about. Yes. It's not a problem. So yeah. thank you, Dr. Susan. This was You're awesome. welcome. And we have to also remind people that uh, podca our podcasts are active on social media. So at per podcast on any social media platform and yes. our podcast for owners cat cafe podcast is at cat cafe podcast so yes that's yes. how you can find us we're very, very lucky because we're over 1250 downloads per week now so we're this is going really well you're Yay. popular there's no so so clearly there's more than just us two who like listening to cat podcasts yes <laughs> Yeah, we were worried that there were only two yeah. downloads per week. Yeah, only two. Yeah. <laughs> There's only two, and one of them's your mother. No. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. All right. Thank okay. you, Dr. Susan. Until next week. All right. Bye bye. Bye. Dr. Susan Little is a feline medicine specialist with two cat-only hospitals in Ottawa, Canada. She is best known as an international speaker and as the author and editor of two textbooks, The Cat, Clinical Medicine and Management, and August, Consultations in Feline Internal Medicine. Along with three cats, she also admits to owning two dogs, and you can follow her on social media with the handle at 
cat, pet, Susan. Dr. Yerla Kirpenstein is a diplomate of the American and European College of Veterinary Surgeons and a big cat fan. His specialties range from surgical oncology and reconstruction to minimally invasive surgery. He is the author of two textbooks on basic and reconstructive surgery. Did you know he was allergic to cats? Yola works currently at Hills Pet Nutrition. You can follow him on social media with the handle at G-V-E-T-S-X. This episode is made possible by the generous sponsorship of the Take the Pledge Against Struvites in Pets Facebook page. Did you know there are three easy steps to treat bladder stones in cats with lower urinary tract signs? Step one is to take a radiograph, and if there is a stone present in the bladder, step two is to use the Minnesota Urolith app for iPhone and Android to determine the most likely type of stone. Step three is to treat the cat for at least two to three weeks with an appropriate diet and see if the stone gets smaller. If so, keep feeding that diet until the stone is completely gone on follow-up radiographs. If not, check compliance with the owner and look for alternative treatment options. Join veterinarians worldwide to take the pledge not to remove struvite stones by surgery anymore. The opinions of this podcast are those by Dr. Susan Little and Dr. Yola Kirpenstein. Veterinary medicine is a complex profession, and often there are multiple diagnostic and therapeutic options for different disease processes. If you're a pet owner with questions, please go to your local veterinarian. If you're a veterinary professional, ask your questions on our Instagram page at per podcast. 